Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today my guest is Justin Kaviki Young, director of the new documentary, My Hero, The Hitman. The title caught me right away, as did the premise. If you've seen I, Tanya or any of the countless documentaries about the Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding situation, you know that Harding's associates brought in a hitman to severely injure her figure skating rival, Nancy Kerrigan, in 1994. What you may not know is what happened to that hitman. His name is Shane Stant, and he was sentenced to 18 months in prison for accepting a little under $7,000 to strike Kerrigan with a collapsible baton. He pleaded guilty and kept to himself for years, trying to avoid attention for his role in one of the most infamous and horrific crimes in the history of sports. But then Justin, who is a musician as well as a filmmaker, happened to meet Shane's sister, Miley. She was just two years old when her then 22-year-old brother carried out the attack, and it turned out that she had a story to tell. Justin, Shane, and Miley all share Hawaiian heritage, and the film was an official selection at the Hawaii International Film Festival before being picked up for distribution by Gravitas Ventures. It's now out on VOD, so you can watch it at home wherever you like. And here's my talk with Justin Kavika Young, director of My Hero, The Hitman. Well, Justin Kavika Young, welcome to Movie Maker. I really enjoyed your movie, My Hero, The Hitman. You emailed me. I went, that's a great hook, and just watched it pretty much immediately. And it's a really emotional, really beautifully done movie. And your first movie. It is my first movie. And um, first of all, thank you for, for watching it. I really appreciate that. It's my first time even sending an email trying to hook someone in to entice them to watch a movie. So even that was a challenge. But uh, huh. Batting a thousand. But Yeah, so far so good. Um, yeah, it was the story that kind of landed on my lap. I, I'm a musician by trade, but I went to film school for a summer in New York um, just as a possible other, you know, creative outlet of telling stories a little bit longer than three and a half minutes. Um, and I was back home in Hawaii and I met Miley and Miley was telling me about her brother. He's her hero and every like good quality she sees in herself. She attributes it, attributes it to something that she learned from her brother, Shane. And then sort of as an aside at the end of this conversation, she's like, by the way, my brother's the guy that hit Nancy Kerrigan. And I was like, I'm sure I heard that wrong, <laughs> but what, what now? So, you know, the attack on Nancy Kerrigan, blah, blah, blah. that was my brother. And I was just like completely shocked. Also, I had followed the story. I mean, even like I watched the 30 for 30, it was something that I had always been interested in, like most of us in the world, because it's such a bizarre tale. And um, had never known that the hitman was half Hawaiian and had these connections to the islands, which usually it's a small island. If anybody has any connection, we all know about it. So that was shocking to me. But he's it's a very private person, so it's not entirely surprising. Uh, but, yeah, you know, hearing that, you know, um, this person that I had sort of known about in the ethers of uh, culture and um, and the history of sports um and only knowing one thing that he was this thug and hitman and then to hear someone else's perception of him as being their hero and the person that they looked up to and their protector i thought was a really interesting story to to tell yeah it really is and i know he hasn't spoken out much how hard was it to get him to sit down and talk with you well i mean it turned out it wasn't hard for me because i didn't like pursue this i basically you know um, told Miley at the end of the, end of the night, I was just kind of like, you know, 
I'd love to tell this story if you guys ever want to share it. Because she was sort of at the point where she was going to write a book Hmm. about it, um, just kind of investigating her brother's past, which she had been really hesitant to do up until this point in her life. Because she felt like she needed to keep this hero figure um, for her to have something stable. And uh, she was afraid to bring him down from this pedestal and what that might mean to her life. But she was at the point that she felt really comfortable with who she was and Hmm. wanted to see her brother uh, in his entirety, his, you know, not just, you know, whatever may be her experience of him. So I just said, you know, I just got back from film school. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this, but I would love to tell this story. And we kept in touch. And about a year and a half later, she just texted me like, um, I talked to my brother and he trusts me and I trust you. And so we want to do the movie. And so it really just organically kind of came about. How did you first meet her? So, you know, she is a hula dancer and mm-hmm. she um, was a friend of a musician friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I think they had traveled together because a lot of times um, hula groups will travel with musicians to back them up. So I was actually playing a gig at the restaurant that she was working at. Just sort of like I was in town. I was like, oh, I'll pick up this gig with my friend, Sean. And we're just playing an acoustic set. And she was a server there at the time. So he's like, oh, you got to be my friend, Miley. She's actually from California, too. You guys would hit it off. And that's really just, I mean, uh, who, who knew that it would turn into this, you know, five, six year creative endeavor. Yeah. So how long did this movie take to make? Because I noticed that you had three DPs, which made me think maybe you had one in each city or I wasn't mm-hmm. sure how you did it exactly. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, it was it was locational. Uh, depending on that it, the shooting wasn't that spread out it was probably within six months we kind of shot everything um, mm-hmm. but as a first-time filmmaker and doing everything independently and funding it um, ourselves it was um, you know it's a it's a long process and a learning process I also was on tour you know I, I edited the film as well so it was a lot of hours of logging footage and editing and trying to figure out how to tell the story. It's not like, you know, there's a script or a naturally like linear progression of things. Um, so it was, I was overwhelmed a lot. And, you know, I was tr- also paying the bills by playing music. Um, and when I was in film school, I remember every documentary filmmaker that came through was like, yeah, this is a movie that took me 10 years to complete. And I was just always like, what the hell is taking you so long and now I think we've I think it's been like six or seven years and it's finally seeing the light of day so now I understand it is it the logging is it like the interruptions and funding is it like what is it that that takes that long because it it does take everyone that long yeah I mean I think it's a great question and it may be different for different projects there wasn't as much of a funding issue um just because we just decided myself and the other producers just decided to put our own money into it. And obviously, but, but yeah, I mean, what part of what took time was trying to, to save money because we didn't have, you know, somebody with deep pockets paying for it. We wanted to see, well, maybe we can get this from this person or get a recommendation. And, and so you wait a couple of weeks and then that falls through. And, but um, there's a lot of logistical things also. I mean, definitely the edit took me forever. I'd never edited a feature length and, um, you know, there's, I edited it about a thousand different ways and there's a thousand more that I could have done. So that took a long time, um, you know, and then, 
even once you, we premiered at the Hawaii International Film Festival, but at that point we didn't get any of the footage cleared. And this being like a historical event, a lot of the, we sourced a lot of material from other, you know, news footage and clippings. Um, so then uh, finding uh, an attorney that would go through and see what we could apply fair use to. Mm. Uh, and then I ended up scoring the whole film to save money. So that was another few months. Um, I, so yeah, part of it is just doing everything yourself takes time. And then part of it is learning about all these processes and logistics and then getting, you know, insurance, once you get distribution and, and having people shop it. So you're waiting, you know, there's just, a, it's, it seemed like a never ending process. Um, so I'm so thrilled to cross the finish line finally. Well, you stay in the background so much in this movie, which a lot of documentarians don't, that when I get to the end and I see all these beautiful songs have your name attached to them, <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, this guy's amazing. Like, and it really doesn't come across that you're, that you're a musician at all as you're making the film. I'm like, this is a really assured filmmaker. And then to realize yeah. this is like your second job is super cool. Like, just- Well, thank you. Uh, I, I mean, I think I was just so honored to, be um, bestowed the opportunity to tell the story that it weighed on me a lot. And, um, you know, it, it was a limited budget. We did the best we could and we pieced it together. But um, I really feel like my job was just to try and tell the story um, in the most effective way, but really stay out of the way because their story is so powerful in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have preferred to do have less jobs, but it was really born out of necessity. Well, one thing you did that I thought was really cool is you just start right off by saying what this is about and you don't make any, you know, let me introduce you to this guy and he's really cool. And here's all the good stuff about him. And also there's this bad thing that uh, we need to disclose 15 minutes in. You just start right at the beginning. Like this is what he did. This is the worst mistake he ever made. Let's be upfront and honest about that. Why did you decide to start that way instead of kind of, you know, obfuscating it a little bit or kind of getting us to Mm -hmm. like him first before you revealed this thing? Well, I think it was important to remind people about the event and how big it was. And so to kind of contextualize the whole movie, because although it's not the central theme of the film, it definitely plays a pivotal role. Um, And I also thought it was important to not feel like we were making some sort of propaganda piece to rehabilitate his image because that wasn't the point of it either mm-hmm. and at the time he did work in a strip club and there was some debate among us producers whether or not that is something that we should not show mm-hmm. and my stance was this is who he is he has a hard time getting a job anywhere else mm-hmm. and you know we're asking people to not judge people based on one aspect of their life. So why are we going to hide the fact that he works at a strip club? Um, The other thing that I think that I enjoy about documentaries is when you find yourself changing your mind about something or someone as you go through it. So, you know, Miley in the film talks about, um, you know, revisiting his past as not a way to sort of shame him for what he did, but to celebrate how far he came. So, For me, it's also like we can take the viewer if they're skeptical from the beginning to maybe having a a, a different opinion at the end of the movie. Yeah, I wondered about the strip club thing. You don't, you know, focus on it too much. But 
what did he was he security there or what did he do yeah yeah he was security um and there was there was more he talked about it more and i ended up kind of trimming it out because i felt like it maybe wasn't as important but i mean it was interesting because he did have a hard time finding a job and he found it easier to kind of exist at sort of the periphery of society in some ways yeah um but his main attraction to the to the (laughs) wasn't the strippers but he served the role of protector yeah which is what he did for his sister and is sort of the opposite of what he has been known for. Um, yeah. 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 I thought that was really interesting. I mean, there's obviously a, a need for that in, mm-hmm. in that business for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what was your impression of him? Was there a point when, you know, as I'm watching it, I'm, I'm inherently wary of him because of what I know that he did. And I'm thinking this guy is probably trying to put on a good face yeah. and probably trying to like, you know, con us all. Um, into thinking he's a great guy. Was there a point when you had that position and did it change? Yeah. No, I mean, I definitely went into it, especially at the beginning. Um, he had canceled a couple meetings and the first shoot we had to postpone. And so I think we were all a little bit like unsure of what we were going to get. Um, but I took the position really early on that Shane doesn't have to be a hero to anyone else mm-hmm. in this movie, but he was a hero legitimately to his sister. And that's what the story is about. But yeah, I didn't know if I was going to come away being like, yeah, she's, you know, she's sort of delusionally like whitewashed this, you know, his history and kind of looked at him in this way because she needed this person in her life, regardless of who he actually is. Um, But pretty quickly, um, I got a sense of um, who he actually was because of his openness and his willingness to sort of talk about anything. Um, you can tell he's done a lot of work on himself. He's very thoughtful, um, very like self-aware and he doesn't, uh, um, he doesn't use any of his past as an excuse. Um, and I think that that feels very refreshing. And now I've spent plenty of time with him and, and I mean, I think he's, uh, I love the guy and I got to meet his friends too, like his current friends and how much they look up to him and how sweet he has been to them, even in my presence, like the, the, his friend, Dominic, who's kind of a mm-hmm. silly, like, you know, goofy guy. And he was so sweet and, and he would compliment him and build him up. And I, I could see like, I think over time who he was and why um, Miley looks up to him in that way. So it really is like, I wholeheartedly feel like he did become somebody that legitimately can be called a hero. Yeah. And he's also clearly a really disciplined guy. I mean, just yeah. to like work out as much as he does and like help other people get in shape and some of the other stuff that we saw him do with his obstacle course, that takes a lot of personal discipline and integrity, at least responsibility to yourself. And then I think the movie demonstrates that he has a lot of responsibility for other people too, and his family. And I came away really liking him, which I know is like a, a weird thing to say about somebody who in 1994, we all thought was, you know, this awful person, but I did I did come away liking the guy and he kind of reminded me of people I knew growing up in the South Bay because I grew up not too far from where he did. One thing that you got into that I thought was really well handled and that I didn't expect at all is that they're both really a product of an abusive dad. Um, Even though they're separated by 20 years, she was two when everything happened in 94 and he was, I think, 22, if I'm remembering that right. Um, They both were abused by the same dad. They're half, half siblings. And he was also abused by his dad and you just get into this awful cycle and how someone has to break it. At what point did you discover that that was, that that was the case and that 
that was the home life is really what made him, I think, to some degree, the way he is. And he says that he doesn't, you know, put it all on that. He takes yeah. responsibility. But as a neutral third party, I felt like that played a huge role. Yeah, no. Um, well, you know, I had multiple conversations with both of them separately prior to shooting. And they're both very forthcoming with all the things that they experienced. And they had, I mean, it's really refreshing because they also, but they also felt no loyalty to their dad to protect his legacy or anything. They just wanted to be completely open and honest. Um, And yes, I think they both, I mean, they both, what's interesting is their lives parallel each other in so many ways, even though it happened, you know, 20 years apart, they're 20 years apart in age. They both had a moment in childhood because of the abuse they they experienced um, where each of them said, I need to protect myself. And Shane has a epiphany where he's like, I'm just going to be the biggest, strongest, scariest dude around. So no one will, uh, I I won't be a victim anymore. And Miley, um, you know, she says, I realized I can control how I experience pain. And she becomes an overachiever and decides that she is not going to be her family to an extreme degree, straight A's, just on a path to, you know, a very conventional achievement path. Um, And then to their credit, both of them later in life um, reflect on the things that they've been through and realize that they are not living a life that is true to who they are, but actually a product of um, survival. Mm -hmm. And they both make a choice to kind of turn back into who they truly are. Mm -hmm. um separately so it was a challenge to i wanted to try and mirror these paths that they both took but they're obviously not happening at the same in on the same timeline um and yeah i mean i think to some degree uh we sometimes confuse understanding and compassion for excusing someone's behavior Mm -hmm. and we can we can have compassion for someone and understand what created them to be in a position where they might do something that is wrong and not excuse it. And I think Shane has, has found a really uh, way nuanced way to, to do both of those things in his life. Well, it's, it's one of the biggest questions about the criminal justice system and not that you, you know, beat people over the head with this point, but do you judge somebody for their entire life based on the worst thing that they ever did, possibly when they were very young and, possibly in very terrible circumstances. And I don't know, I think you handled that really elegantly and thoughtfully um, without making like a, it's not a pamphlet, you know, it's not, it's not yeah. a bumper sticker. Um, well, well, and, and, you know, I think in, in the film, Shane, Miley has more complicated feelings, but Shane, because he was older, goes back and cares for his dad as his dad's dying. And Shane is w- extends forgiveness to his father who beat him with a two by four mercilessly told him he was worthless. They were both sexually abused as well. Um, and his father never took responsibility and never asked for forgiveness, but Shane extends that to him as he says it freed himself. And so I think that, you know, Shane is not, asking of us more than he's willing to give. If he can forgive his father, who has not even asked for forgiveness for the things that he's done to him, I think that he deserves a second chance from the rest of the world for, and not to minimize it, but he was young and went in and bruised someone's knee for money. 
Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think part of it is we should take into account the totality of one's life and not just one incident. And the other thing is, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who are constantly criticized on social media because they never were really brought to justice for things that they did wrong. He yeah. did plead guilty. He did serve his time. Mm-hmm. The criminal justice system is done with him. He's, yep. he did everything that society said he was supposed to do. Um, so I guess I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what did Nancy Kerrigan think of all this? And you did reach out to her? I did. Yeah, I emailed with her manager, who I believe is her husband. I'm not exactly sure. It was it was a couple of years ago when we were sort of in the middle of it because we wanted to give her an opportunity to either see it and have a response or we wanted to ha- not it not to feel like it was one sided, even though there's not any way that we're at all trying to, you know, this isn't a, an, an apologist's like, you know, um, to try and soften what he did at all. But um, yeah, she, they, you know, they just say we don't see any role that um, she would have in this. And uh, the people in figure seating that I had reached out to, I think there's a sense in the community that like, we, we shouldn't talk about this anymore because we want people to move on from it. Mm-hmm. And understandably, and they don't know, you know, the story of, Um, what this story was so I think they're just trying to like not bring any more attention to to this this you know black eye on the sport Uh, but Michelle Kwan did she's a friend of mine and she was willing to to give me an interview and so at least we did have a a perspective from somebody who was actually there who was a skater you know that was the craziest thing in the whole doc for me realizing that little Michelle Kwan was wasn't she like five years old at the time or something she was really like she was like 12 or something like that yeah but she's in the building when this happens? She was right behind her, right behind her as she was getting off the ice. Yeah. I thought I must have heard that wrong. I don't know how I've never heard that part of it before. How that didn't traumatize Michelle Kwan, you know, as she goes into this career. Yeah. I mean, and she, and she says, though, which I think was an important thing to, to say, is that now all the figure skaters were concerned. They were concerned about their safety. And I think all athletes, I mean, there was like that, Monica Sellis attack too. I think that wasn't like too, too distant in time from that. And so I do think, and Shane talks about this too, in his apology to Nancy Kerrigan, where it's like physical scars heal, but emotional ones are hard to come back from. So um, it's, it's hard to imagine like not looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life, that someone's going to jump out of somewhere with, uh, to attack you. Um, And so, yeah, but yes, Michelle was, was right there as it happened. It sounds like you're pretty good at meeting people and gaining their trust, but how did you become friends with Michelle Kwan? <laughs> uh, I think we, we met first at an event. I, I play with um, a pop artist, Colby Calais. So we were doing an event um, and then she just became friends of ours. And yeah, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. And That's awesome. I didn't want to, you know, intrude on our friendship, but I just kind of threw it out there and she was so nice. To, and because I also understood at this point, having reached out to other figure skaters like there's there's sort of a taboo it seems like mm-hmm. or an, uh, unspoken or not that we we shouldn't be you know giving this any more attention so yeah yeah and then you didn't reach out to tanya harding right i didn't i didn't yeah. reach out to tanya i i just i mean she's already been very public about all the things i don't feel like she's taken fully taken accountability for what's happened and and honestly for me, this was a story about 
Miley and her journey with her brother and her experience of her brother. So while the attack is important and we, I wanted to get Shane's side of everything because I also think it's appealing. A lot of people just watch it for that. And it's important to know. Um, I just feel like she's, she's kind of said everything she's going to say about it. Uh, it would have been more interesting to me to have maybe a Nancy Kerrigan side of the story, you know, rather than Tanya at this point, but. Well, she also got a, about as sympathetic a version of her story as you're going to get in Itanya, which, I mean, Itanya doesn't really cut her a tremendous amount of slack, but it does show that she was in an abu abusive relationship yeah. too. Um, mm -hmm. And there's some mitigating factors there for sure. You get to be played by a movie star, Margot Robbie. Um, mm -hmm. She comes off about as well as I think she could ever come off. Um, and Shane has seen that movie, right? Yeah, he's a fan. <laughs> I mean... Obviously, they portray him as this bumbling idiot. Um, so I wasn't sure how he'd feel, but he thought it was a great movie, and um, although inaccurate, and uh, it was a fictional take on things. But you know, he also talks about like how he he doesn't mind having low expectations because people just kind of expect him to come in and be this like big oaf, uh, or you know. But he's a, quite a well-spoken, gentle, uh, natured person. Yeah. I don't want to ruin the ending of your movie, but I'll say I got a little teary eyed. I was really <laughs> the way you brought it all together. I thought was really beautifully done. And I think people should see the movie to see what he's doing now. But um, it sounds like things are on a good path. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's uh, he's in a great place. Uh, doesn't work at a strip club anymore. He's got a good job. He just finished uh, becoming a certified yoga instructor. And I'm hoping that this film will um be a, a door that opens to him to maybe spread his story a little bit more and give other people hope. And I know really like that's the three of us just had that goal. Um, it wasn't about like making money um, or anything else. It was just more like maybe we can make something that might help some people and give some people hope and give them an opportunity to feel like they can turn their lives around too. Hell yes. Really. <laughs> he can. Absolutely. And my son's like is doing absolutely great too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's great. She's being a mom and she's finishing uh, becoming a, well, I guess what you would call it, a certified hula instructor. It's called Uniki. It's a long process to really uh, master your skill and become a hula teacher. So yeah, they're both great and healthy and happy. And, yeah. And the film, you got distribution, right? And it's out May 3rd, which is Wednesday. I think this should be out by then. Yeah, so yeah, it should be out. May 3rd is the release date. It's uh, through Gravitas Ventures, which I've, I watch plenty of docs that they distribute, so I was really happy to partner with them. Yeah. Uh, it'll be on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, uh, YouTube TV, and all of the cable providing video on-demand services, at least to start. So. And Gravitas is killer. How did you hook up them? Just uh, cold emailing. Um, really yeah 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 so it wasn't festival circuit or anything it was just reaching no. out to different distributors it was just reaching out to i mean only a few like i was like oh i like this movie and this is by gravitas and they have a submission portal and they respond um so honestly we can't afford to hire a publicist so <laughs> it's just kind of like well, you do what you can I think that's super cool because a lot of filmmakers say, you know, I can never get a distributor without doing this, 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 and this. And mm -hmm. if you have a good enough hook, which you do, and you have a good enough movie, which you definitely do, 
it shows that a real distributor will take you seriously and get your movie out there. And I think that's super cool. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, how much it being Shane Stant, the hitman who attacked Nancy Kerrigan, that's definitely like, even though it's not like a, we don't have a star attached, that's definitely something of note that may be helpful that other movies don't have to get in the door. But, um, and you know what, like we got distribution, but doesn't mean people are going to watch the movie. It, it is just another step. And now we, you know, which is why I'm talking to you. I mean, it's great to talk to you anyway, but like <laughs> yeah. now, now it's a matter of letting people know it's out there. Because <laughs> <laughs> Gravitas is just going to put it out there, but you have to tell people that it's in the world. So um, yeah, I was close to just going with the aggregator for the filmmakers out there. You just pay an aggregator a one-time fee and they'll put it up on a bunch of DSPs. But it has been nice having Gravitas because they helped with the artwork and uh, quality control and all these things that they just have infrastructure for that you know you don't have on your own mm -hmm. did you come up with the title did they come up with the title because it's also a very good title well thank you um the initial title was what miley had was going to title her book which is and which i love my hero's shadow mm -hmm. um i love that title and i really wanted to stick with it but uh multiple people in the industry came back with feedback that you need to change the title into something more concrete and less, I guess, esoteric. But uh, so it was either going to be my brother, the hitman or my hero, the hitman. And so, yeah, went with my hero, the hitman. Shane was okay with that. Shane's okay with anything. He is very comfortable with who he is in his past. And he doesn't, I mean, he also understands like a lot of people will just be interested to hear about the attack and, you know, that's just part of the deal. Um, yeah. But and the last thing for anybody who's on the fence and going, oh no, I don't want to support whatever, what, whatever negative thing they think, you're giving some money to charity from this, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think ideally I was, we, we were thinking it'd be great to donate to Nancy Kerrigan's nonprofit or something, but I'm not sure that's still alive, at least the last time I looked. So we definitely are going to donate a portion of the proceeds to, uh, help domestic abuse victims and because um, it's again if we make our money back great and if we make money great but that's really not the point of the whole thing um if you want to make money like get in another business <laughs> and i don't really have the energy to work on something that i don't feel is you know have the have the potential to help people and and, and shane and miley feel the same way so that was justin kavika young director of my hero the hitman as you heard, he really bootstrapped that movie, really DIY'd it, did it completely independent. If you're a fan of independent film or if you're making independent film and you're thinking, gosh, why don't people have more support and more respect for indie film? Here's your chance to support indie film. Uh, check out My Hero the Hitman on VOD. You are really going to enjoy it. You're going to be moved by it. I definitely was. Uh, you can also recommend it to a friend. And if you like what we're doing here, you could recommend us to a friend. You could throw us a positive review. You can also subscribe to Movie Maker Magazine. We think it's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> the latest issue has Nicolas Cage on it. His new movie is also pretty, pretty freaking great. Uh, and you can just stop by MovieMaker.com. Just visiting the website or signing up for our newsletter at MovieMaker.com slash newsletter really helps us out a lot in terms of ad metrics and stuff like that because we are also fully and completely independent. We're one of the few entertainment publications that can say that. Thanks so much for listening and looking forward to speaking with you very soon. I'm Tim Malloy for Movie Maker.
Aloha.